Hi, everybody. I'm Chick Hernandez. You don't know me, but maybe you will. Just listen to Pro Sports Podcasters. <laughs> Hold on a second. Why what? do you think they don't know you? I don't know. You want, you want Emmy Awards and stuff. I know. I know. Oh, here, here, you want one? Yeah, okay, here's one. Here, here, here's one. Here's one. Hi, everybody. I'm Chick Hernandez, multi-Emmy Award winner. Do you care? I don't know. I don't care. It was great. You're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters. There, that one's more like it. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. My name is Corberteron. Emily is Kobe. I, today I've got NWB with me, the Nee Wallace Bruce. Nee, how you doing? Not too bad, Kobe. Not too bad. Always happy to talk some sport. And today we get to talk possibly a lot of sport because we've got one of the most seasoned sportscasters <laughs> with us. <laughs> Boy, he just called me old. That's fine. I get uh, it. No. Oh, no. Seasoned. No, no. Spicy. Seasoned. Spicy. Yes. <laughs> right. Spice is nice. Spent 17 years with NBC. Now he's doing his own thing. We'll talk a bit about that. But we've got Chick Hernandez. Chick, how's it going? Uh, it is going spectacular. Uh, so, you know, the cool thing is that I do a lot of different things and one of them is stand up comedy, which where I work blue. So I always have to be careful when the mic is on. So I'm, I'm ready when you are with whatever, who knows what's going to happen today. Who knows? That's actually an interesting coincidence because the third member of our crew, unfortunately, isn't with us today. He's a stand up comedian as well. So nice. It's too bad. We couldn't have the two of you on at the same time, although it might've gotten a bit out of control. I dabbled. I dabbled. <laughs> I literally dabbled. I'll tell you the quick story is that the, the guy uh matt kazam who teaches uh uh leaders of business how to be a stand-up comic only because those leaders of business have a difficult time communicating to their people so he figures that if you can do a stand-up comedy routine then you can communicate to your people and he asked me if i wanted to do it knowing that i was a bit on the funny side and i said sure and six weeks later we, we made our debut at caroline's on broadway and two-thirds of the routine that I had written was not done from the paper. It was from my head uh, as I started to react to the crowd. And, you know, you get that feeling. There's a, there's, there's a different – it's like playing football or, or, you know, a sport, and you're, you're in that zone. I was in that zone. And when I got done, I had no idea what happened. And the, and the six CEOs came to me and said – because they have my script. Like, mm -hmm. what the hell was that? And I go, what are you talking about? Because two-thirds of that was not – what you had written down. I said, well, I have no idea what you're talking about, but great because the crowd, you know, loved it. And so I made my debut at Caroline's on Broadway. And I believe that was my last. I actually <laughs> bombed in DC. I bombed in DC because I worked blue and apparently I was working in front of a church crowd. Not good. Oh. <laughs> but, Not good. But, but aren't you a, aren't you an ordained minister as well? I am. Yes. Only because one of my best friends, so I've known, so I'm a very unique uh, set of friends. Um, there are four of us who have grown up since first grade together. So I'm in my 50s now. So we have known each other for quite a long time. We picked up a few more guys in junior high and then high school. So there's about 15 of us that are very close. But one of my first grade friends, his daughter asked if I would uh, officiate the wedding. 
And first off, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Because I was not an ordained minister at that point. I did that just to do her wedding. And I will tell you, of all the things that I've done, covered the masters, sat down with Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, Jordan, all of it, the most nervous I've ever, ever been is that 24 hours leading up to the wedding because I wanted to get it right. I know they wanted some humor in it as well. And I also knew that the, the groom's parents weren't too keen on the idea, but I met them at the rehearsal dinner the night before, and I got some intel on both of them, which I wove into the, to the, to the wedding. And it turned out to be good. But I mean, I've never been so nervous in my life. My wife was just like, you, you have got to settle down. I'm like, uh, uh, I'm settled. But if I could just eat some paint right now or do something different, because I am about to crap my pants. <laughs> there we go. Yep. I, I'm just taking an interview on it. I'm single, um, but yeah, that would be that would be quite a quite a process to go through the rehearsal and the. If you want somebody to do your wedding, make sure it's a, a friend that knows knows you well. That's that's and that's what that was the bottom line is that you know and and her parents, my best friend, was absolutely down for it. Um, and it turned out, like I said, it turned out well. I just you know once we were done. There was a whole lot of internal alcohol rub going on after that. That was, uh, yeah, that was, yeah, we, we got it in. But it was, uh, but I, and, you know, I think we, somebody posted some of it online and I started getting requests and I'm like, no, I literally have turned down every request because that was special for me. And it was a friend and a, a, a young lady who I knew before she was ever born. So I, that was fine. Other folks want me to do it for their weddings and, and, you know, people I don't really know. I didn't want to go through that process and then you know, end up butchering it or something like that. So you know, it's a, <laughs> wedding days, you'll know, you'll know single guy that uh, the wedding day is a, it's a different day. I'm approaching our 25th anniversary in June. And Congrats. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so it's a, it's a day you, you never forget. Unfortunately or fortunately. I was married on June 21st, which is the vernal equinox, which means it is the longest day of the year, and it was in so many different ways. So <laughs> so the move there, Chick, is to have your wedding anniversary in the southern hemisphere, because that's Ooh. the shortest day of the year. Ooh, <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, well, next, 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 next marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let's yeah. move on. Now, yeah. <laughs> Chick, how did you get into sports casting? Well, I am uh, five foot six in stature, and I thought that I was going to be a, a football player. Um, I played high school football, and I had a, a, a scout from Temple University come to me after my junior year, and I had really good. I had a really good game. I was a wide receiver, tenth and eleventh or eleventh and twelfth grades. So even at my my height, I was quick enough to get. You know, I wasn't Tyree Kill of the Chiefs where I was that fast, but I could get open. I ran good routes because my my. Uh, my idol was Drew Pearson of the Dallas Cowboys, and so I watched him run routes and knew how to do it. Anyway, so I thought, great, and Temple offered me a scholarship the, or said you will have a scholarship after your senior year if you grow another six inches. <laughs> <laughs> well, two of my friends did grow six inches. We're no longer friends. I, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't. And so I played junior college football as a quarterback as a backup and then uh but i you know i love sports and literally went to the university of maryland and started and i also wanted to be an actor all of that you know so i was my major was radio tv and film and i was the guinea pig for all the different projects every time somebody said i got something i put my hand up because i wanted to get some reps i wanted to get in front of the camera and and get reps in the meantime i joined the radio station at uh at maryland it's called wmuc 
uh, which has produced some folks. Connie Chung has you know, started there. Oh, yeah. um, so <clears throat> I called Len Bias. It was last year of college basketball in 86, and then uh, called the next year in 87 uh, for the college radio station and got offered a job uh, in radio while I was in school, and I took the job. I left school. I didn't leave it. I finished out my semester, and then I took the job, and literally the rest is history. Just got very fortunate. I spoke the language without kind of knowing it. When I was hanging out with the other anchors, I was not one. I was a production assistant, the lowest of low production assistants. And uh, But the executives kept hearing me talk with these guys. And finally, they, one of the guys said, I think you need to be on TV. And I went, okay. And they literally offered to put me on TV like the next week. And I said, no, you wow. need to have me report first. Let me do some stories first <laughs> because there's just no way, right? And uh, so I did a, I did two stories. They were really good stories. Um, just because of the subjects, it, it turned out to be really a five, six overtime game with the Capitals and Islanders that turned, you know, the story told itself. Um, and then one on the a baseball player, uh, Dave Parker, the Cobra, which is way back in the day. Anyway, so they made me an anchor and I was not the same person that they heard in the newsroom talking. I was now, let's just get on and get off. Let's be clear. Let's be clean. Don't make a mistake. And all the humor left me. I, I watched tape and went, who's that guy? I was like, oh my God, how vanilla for a brown guy can you be? It was awful. <laughs> uh, the, the the network went bankrupt, not because of me. And I they, they all the veterans said, you need to get a resume tape. I said, what's a resume tape? And they said, you need to get go into the building, grab any shows that you have done. They're on tape. Grab them and just take them because we're going under and then have somebody edit a resume tape together, which I did. And uh, I've sent two tapes out in my life. One was to Augusta, Georgia. And, you know, this is back in the day when you didn't just send a link. You know, this is physically, <laughs> yeah. you know, get somebody to make a tape and then put that tape in the mail, UPS, send it on and wait and pray that someone <laughs> opens it up and then they call you, which took place. CBS station in Augusta called me and they said, we'd like to interview you. All right, cool. I went down, uh, drove the 10 hours in my red geo storm and walked into the, to the office. Am I rambling here by the way? Um, <clears throat> and I met the news director and she said, uh, all right, listen, here's what we want to do. Uh, the, the news anchors and the weather guy are here. Why don't you write like a two, three minute sports cast? And we'll put you on the set. And I went, huh? Because I know nothing about Augusta, Georgia at this point. And they said, well, I'll give you the, the the details on last night's sportscast. And you can just kind of rewrite it yourself. So I rewrote this thing. And I went down to the set. And this is at 11 o'clock in the morning. I go down and I go on the set. And within about a minute and a half of halfway through my sportscast, the, the weather guy is on all fours. He's laughing. He has just started to lose control of what his, his bodily functions. And I just keep going. And I turn to the news anchors, and now they're crying. They're laughing. And I'm like, well, what in the hell is going on? We get done. I walk upstairs. The, the news director says, all right, we'll get back to you. Okay, great. And I drove back. So I was in a state hotel one night, and I drove back. And then they called my agent like three days later and said, we want to offer him a job. And I was like, oh, my God. So when I took the job, I drove down to a – back down to Augusta and I'm driving in, I'm about 10 miles outside the city and I look up and there's a billboard with all four of us on this billboard. Wow. Th it dawns on nice. me, it, it dawns on me then, because I was too much of a rookie. They had planned to make me their guy from the get go. They just wanted me on tape so that they could put this billboard up and start yeah. all the promos, right? 
Chick Hernandez from Washington, D.C., headed to Augusta, Georgia, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, six years or uh, three years later, I was ready to go. I sent a tape to Fox 5 in D.C. And my now very good friend, Steve Buckhans, and who was the anchor and the news director, saw the tape. They'd gone through like six, seven people, looked at the resume reel and, and the resume itself and said, look, this is a D.C. kid. He's from here. He knows the area. Let's hire him. And I did that for six years. And then the Comcast slash NBC for 18 uh, and now I'm calling basketball and football for CBS Sports. Awesome. Long answer. Sorry. And by, and by the way, you you look six foot online. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> okay. So yes, I look like I'm, I'm a large. That's the best part. That's the best part. People go, you know, they come up to you. You know, in Augusta, I used I would get death threats my first month on the air. Oh yeah. Right? Let's be honest. I mean, because I'm a man of color, so I got death threats, and I was like, <laughs> no, and I'm like. I'm like, holy crap, right? And my news anchor, who was the dean of news anchors in Augusta, he was like, for D.C. folks, he was the Gordon Peterson of, of news. He was the guy that everybody turned to. Well, this guy, Rick Sykes, he saw my face, the first death threat. And he, he walks over and goes, are you all right? I go, dude, I just, I just got a death threat. He goes, what? He goes, I just got a death threat. He goes, chick, listen, I'm from Augusta. My people are stupid. I get death threats. Don't worry about it. And that was it. I was I was gone. Uh, yeah, crazy. So eh, eh, it's, it was a great time, and I and I I relished it. I'll never forget the small market. It was market one twelve. I'm, I'm still friends. Two of the guys were in my wedding because uh, you just you know you're 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 trying different stuff. And I came from D.C. where the legend is of Glenn Brenner, who was the funniest sportscaster in the country, he taught me along with James Brown, who's currently doing a pretty good job himself. Mm-hmm. Now you've covered a fair amount of golf. Were, mm-hmm. were you a golf fan previous or no? Uh, when I went to Augusta, I played golf, but I was not an addict like I am to this day now. Um, so I was there and the cool thing, and it still irks all of my friends is that at Augusta uh, masters, there's a Monday after the masters that the, all the media, they put their name in a hat. It's a lottery. And mm-hmm. if your name gets chosen, you get to play Augusta National on the, that Monday after you know the Sunday final. Um, but if your name gets chosen, then you are exempt. I believe it's for five or ten years. Local media, we are guaranteed to play every year. So I played ah. Augusta National three times. Awesome. And it was, you know, my champions were Fred Couples, Ola Thobble, and uh, Bernhard Longer. And... You know, there's nothing, it's still the number one place ever in my golfing life. <clears throat> and I played right-handed the first year and then lefty the next year. I switched in the middle of, uh, while well, I was my time in Augusta. So yeah, I mean, I was a fan, but not like I am now. And once I got to Augusta and covered the Masters and learned how to do it, you know, TV-wise, and then played it, and I play it on a competitive level on the, on the amateur level, you know, it just was a, a natural fit. And I, it's still, when the tournament's here in D.C., we got the Wells Fargo coming. Mm-hmm. You know, I will venture out there. I'm playing tomorrow in the, in the media day at TPC Avenue. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's – and I called golf for the last two years on PGA Tour Radio, which is such a weird thing because it was during the pandemic. So I'm, I was literally calling golf from where I'm talking to you right now in my office. There was no on-course stuff, which was – you know, six hours sitting in a chair, calling golf from a TV monitor, which is really odd. But that was that's what we were faced with. Now, I mean, you get to hear players talk about the reverence of Augusta and mm-hmm. and the differences between playing, say, somewhere else and playing mm-hmm. there. You don't get to hear about it really from the media side of things. You've covered golf both yeah. at Augusta and elsewhere. 
How different is it for media to be at Augusta? Well, because you've seen it, you know, if you're any type of sports person, you've seen the Masters forever, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the one tournament, it's the one major that's always played right there. So now you feel like you know every hole, you know every nook and cranny of the holes. When I first walked out the first year, I swear to you, I got down on my hands and knees because I thought to myself, oh, this part of the course is AstroTurf, but it wasn't. It was such such, such a finely knit fairway. It wasn't even a fairway, it was near the clubhouse, but it was in a, in a mowed down area, but it was it's grass, it's just so tight. And you're like, oh my God, this is real. And then you, <laughs> right, it's like ridiculous. It looks like and carpet, basically. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's carpet. <laughs> like fairways, the fairways there are better than greens we would normally play on, simple yeah. as that. They roll that much. Um, and when I played it, which was 92, 93, 94, there was no first cut. So literally, if you hit your ball somewhere you know, wayward, didn't matter. You could always advance your ball towards, unless you're behind a tree, but you could always advance your ball and not be worried about the rough because you're going to either run it up, whatever. And it's just, you know, it's it's the history of it all, the history of it all. And I, and I there's a place uh, that's about 30 minutes away in Palmetto, Palmetto Golf Club, which, you know, is even more historic. It didn't host PGA events, but it's it's a place where Hogan and Sarah's and all these guys would go play. You could find one of their golf balls if you dig deep enough in the woods and when you find the ball, you go to the pro shop and you tell them, hey, this is, you know, look at the ball markings. Oh, my gosh, that's a Ben Hogan ball. Well, Augusta National, you know, the roars that you hear, uh, all of it, you know, you can tell from from holes away, oh, that's an eagle. That's a birdie. It's insane. Awesome. And, that's awesome. And, and I never got in a cart. They give you a cart. Uh, I'll tell you this. I, they give you a cart, and I was like, the bag will be on the cart. And they didn't give us caddies because they knew it would take us stupid media guys way too long if we had to start listening to the caddies and, you know, arguing with the caddies, all that stuff. So they just said, here's a cart, go. And they gave you they give you free run of the course. You could play the par three course as much as you want and then go play the big course. Mm-hmm. So I was there for, you know, 10 hours. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but it's 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 insane. Like one of my guys, my producers I played with, he was a smoker. And normally he would, you know, he'd throw his butts anywhere. Well, by the time we were done, I looked in his pocket. I'm like, what is that? And he had like, you know, he had, he had smoked, you know, 25 cigarettes during the round of golf and all the butts were in his pants. He was nowhere. He was, he was no chance he was going to put those down on that grass. And it's just, it's a, it's a special place. Um, I have, I'm one under through Amen Corner for three rounds. Wow. Uh, which includes a double on 12. And my last year, no three putts in my final round, which I saw. So my scores were 88 right-handed, 104 First time left in, and then 83 right uh, lefty again with no three putts. And that's amazing because I can't tell you what I had for breakfast this morning, but I do know what I did on every shot on that course. Yeah, no, it's it's bucket list for me. I, I cover a lot of golf, actually, mm-hmm. primarily LPGA, to be honest. Okay, yeah. But, uh, but I, I love the Masters. I love LPGA. Because it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. because it's the same you know same location every year. It's, it's yeah. one of the things that makes it so appealing. I'd love to play there. And I got to ask, why did you switch from righty to lefty? So I played in a media baseball league in Augusta when I got there. I was, again, still a jock. So my my two ways to, to relax would be athletics and uh drinking so i was playing a media league and if i played baseball that day i would go to the range that night or the next morning because they're two different swings Mm -hmm. you know and i tried to keep them separate 
I'm a mental midget when it comes to golf. So I always went to the range either right afterwards or the next day. So I, 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 I'd beat balls. And this guy, old caddy, Johnny, he walked up to me one day. He goes, what's your handicap? And I said, it's a 13. And he said, you want to be a single digit? And I said, well, what's the dumbest question you're going to ask for the week? <laughs> no, I don't. I do. No. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, all right, t- give me two weeks with you. And by the end of the summertime, you'll be a single digit. I said, Johnny, you know you know, I'll hit every golf. He goes, I know. I see you out there, man. It's 101 degrees. And you ain't even sweating. I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right, do me one favor. What's that? Buy, le- buy left-handed clubs. And I almost, I balled my fist up. I was going to punch him. I'm like, that's the worst golf joke. And he's like, nah, man, I saw you play baseball this afternoon. You hit three home runs. The first one was right-handed. You had to work at that one. The two lefties, that was a switch hitter. The two lefties, they went pop, pop. And he looked me dead in my pupil. He goes, you're a left-handed golfer. Come back to me when you got left-handed clubs. I came back in two hours with left-handed clubs. And he was like, what in the hell? I said, you said. And we went to work. And (laughs) he was right. right. You He was right. By the time uh, I was single, I was probably a... Probably an eight by the end of the summer, um, without hitting a driver really. But my iron irons and my and my uh, short game had come pretty quick. And then when I left a year later, I was a two. So he was right. And that's that's funny. I very similar. I I can switch it. Mm-hmm. I play lefty golf, but okay. that's primarily because I I uh, I play lefty hockey as well. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. So it just seemed a little more natural fit for me to go sure. lefty, but I've never heard of somebody start one way and then switch. That's- Which is weird because and I know you <laughs> I know what you're saying, but it's like, you know, I play in a lot of programs. I play with a lot of Jeff Ogilvy, Lumpy Heron, you know, Sendin, all of these guys. And when I tell that story, I mean, Brendan DeJong, me and him, we won Tigers pro-am at RTJ a few years back. Nice. But I told him like on the fifth hole, I used to be a right-handed golfer. And for the next, you know, nine holes, he just was shaking his head going, that's impossible. That doesn't, that doesn't make, make any sense, right? Yeah. Uh, I told him, I said, we were the last group out. I said, we're going to win this thing. The, the score is 14 under. We're going to win this thing. And he kind of went, okay, these guys are in there just to, you know, to, 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 it's a pro-am. He's, gonna, he's scouting the course, blah, blah, blah. Well, I went out and birdied two of the first three holes. And he looked at me and he goes, you're serious, aren't you? I go, oh, no, yo, no, we're going to win this. And when we walked in at 15 under, the, the PR staff was like, they were reading the names, and then he just stopped at my name because he knew me. He was one yeah. of the Tigers guys, and he's like, really? Chick won this thing? And <laughs> Brendan's like, yes, 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 we did. So anyway, um, yeah, that's why I switched. It was, you know, it made sense. I putted righty for a long time, and I switched to lefty putting about five years ago, finally. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And I've got to ask, hailing from D.C., mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we could talk about Ovechkin, but Oh man! Another so time. good. Okay. Another time. Let's talk football. Let's talk about the the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> For, formerly known as the team. That's right. Currently known as the Commanders. <laughs> yes. So I'm I'm going to assume that you're a fan of the team, having grown up in DC. That's a that's a mistake. Oh, you're not. No. Which team do you follow then? Well, I don't. I'm not a fan anymore of any team. Uh, when I got in the business, rule number one is there's no cheering in the press box, and that's kind of what I followed. But when I grew up, I was also when I first saw football, I was at the age where anything the family said, you were going the opposite direction. So they were watching a game for fun somewhere around Thanksgiving, and it was uh, San Francisco and Dallas, and they were all rooting for San Francisco. And so I said, I'll take the guys with the stars in their helmets. And it was uh, Roger Staubach's first comeback win. Very young, mind you, I was very young. 
and the, the Cowboys came back and won, and I was sold. I was th- those are my guys. Wow. So I was a Cowboys fan up until Jerry Jones fired Tom Landry. Uh, now that that's a turning point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And then I was done, and everybody said, "Well, you're just you're just fooling people. You don't you really still like him?" I said, "No, no, I'm good." And they won like you know four Super Bowls after that, or whatever, with, uh, with Michael Irvin and, and Aikman and Emmitt Smith with, yeah. with with Jimmy Johnson, which is fine. But I was there's just again no cheering the press box. That's the way I've always dealt with it because I found out as a youngster at Maryland that exact rule when I cheered on a Maryland Terrapin scoring a touchdown in the press box, I yelled out, yeah, and then the voice of God got on the microphone. It was perfect. He waited about two minutes and then said, a reminder, there's no <laughs> cheering in the press box. And every every head turned to me, and I went, oh, that's a rule. Okay, then. That, that one's on you. Yeah, so I watch now when I watch sports, and, and I watch with my buddies. We go to, we'll go to, I mean, I've been to, it's just sad to say, like, so I've been in the business for 30-plus years. I have been to eight games that I wasn't covering. I just don't have the time and just didn't because I don't I don't root. But I'll go to a game and sit there in the stands with my buddies and, you know, a guy could do a 360 slam and they're jumping up and down and I'm sitting there going, that's, that's a nice play. You know, it's, it's probably not fun to watch a game with me anymore. So uh, so to answer your question, not a fan um, of, of the Washington franchise, but covered them for a long time. And I rooted for the guys – Individually, I rooted for the guys that I came to know. You know, the the Santana Mosses, the Sean Taylors, mm-hmm. all of those guys um, that I got to know. Uh, Clinton Portis, all of them. So it wasn't that I rooted rooted against them. And believe me, if they won, it made my job infinitely easier uh, because the town would go upside down. Twenty twelve, when Robert Griffin III is the quarterback, the town has absolutely lost its mind, and our pregame and post game shows are off the freaking chain because we're live from the stadium outside and it's just bedlam and that was awesome and i i rooted for that um but again you know the new owner i say the new owner uh <laughs> when i met him i knew that that they were in trouble because he had not what an inkling sense of humor uh, that's a problem for me and i guess what starts at the top trickles down yes absolutely you've seen it you're witnessing it <laughs> Absolutely. Now, would they? Have, do you think they would have won a championship under Shanahan, under Mike Shanahan? Ooh, uh, I no, no, I don't, because there was a whole lot of. Shanny was a, obviously a really, really good coach, and he and he won his titles with John Elway as quarterback. But the situation with Griffin was such that they all weren't telling the truth, and even Shanahan on his final day literally said. I wasn't always honest with you guys. At what point we all went, oh, really? Shocking. <laughs> um, but it was just an untenable situation. And you had, it got so bad that literally, and I witnessed this, Mike would go up and talk, and Robert Griffin would be in the other room behind a door and writing notes down so that when he went up to the podium, he didn't say something that conflicted with what his coach said. <laughs> That's how ugly it got, right? And I and I called Griff on that, as I said afterwards after the post of the podium. Sometimes we get one on ones later on, and I said I just I need two minutes with Griffin, and they said, "All right, where's your camera?" I said, "No, I just need two minutes with him." And I went and talked to him. I said, "The notepad, what's that about?" And he looked at me like, "Oh crap!" And he told me, "I'm just making sure that I'm on the same page." So, uh, could he have won? I mean, could Shani have won? Not with the talent that they had. 
you know, it just wasn't a good mix. And that's been the case for, for decades. It's always something off. We'll see what Carson Wentz can do. I'm not sold on them, but, you know, they tried for two other quarterbacks, and now they're, they're saying, well, we got our guy. Well, you didn't get your guy because, you, 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 you know, you missed on two others. So Yeah, at least the defense is all right. <laughs> it is okay. It is okay. But Chase Young, who they, you know, espouse to be the second coming of Lawrence Taylor, not so much. He's good. And I'm hoping after the injury and he's come back, he comes back stronger. But it's a decent defense, but their secondary has got some issues. There's a little Swiss cheese going on there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it was pretty easy to throw on. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's you're limited as a defense if you're always playing from behind, too. You ain't kidding. Right? You're, you <laughs> you're ain't limited. Kidding. There's only so much you can do in yeah. that situation. Look, they got, they got a great <laughs> receiver in Terry McLaurin. He's awesome. Yeah, any any quarterback in the league would love to have this guy. But I like Logan Thomas too. Yeah, absolutely, a beast. Beast. He's a beast who's learning, still learning the position, right? Um, But we'll see. I mean, and I've always said that the this area, there's something in the water. Something's going to go wrong. I mean, Hmm? look at what I mean. Okay, so what? Three years ago, Alex Smith is back there and gets one of the worst football injuries on a nondescript play you've ever seen. Nearly guy nearly loses his life. Yeah. What are we talking about here? And then Fitzpatrick comes in. He lasts a game or two, and he's got a hip that, you know, like what is, what's going on? Uh, so it's, if, if something's going to go wrong, it will go wrong. That's what it feels like uh, with this franchise. I, I would love for it to turn around. Maybe now that Tanya Snyder's, I'm using air quotes, running the team. <laughs> maybe maybe that's maybe it turns around. I I don't know. I I want them to do well, you know. But they and I want them to move to a place where they're talking about Virginia, you know, moving a stadium there. And just you know, it's just it's not all. It's not it's not good. This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Now, you mentioned Alex Smith. Mm -hmm. Should they be changing it to the NFL Comeback Player of the Year Award to the Alex Smith Award? I wouldn't, uh, you know, I don't think there's anybody who's come from further back. So that's not a bad it's not a bad thing. Um, I, you know, you when you look at the pictures and you saw the documentary, you're just like, holy moly! And I know he's playing golf now because one of my guys played with him uh, about two weeks ago. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that's just flat out amazing, which gives me hope that a certain golfer will come back and be really, really good uh, off his go. leg injury. But yeah, I, yeah, Smith was, it, that was insane. You know, it was, it was crazy to see that comeback and you could be nothing but inspired by a guy who just wanted to come back and play. And he just wanted to make sure he could come back and play. It wasn't like he was trying to prove anything else other than I need to get back for quality of life, which is what he did. It's awesome. Yeah, un- unbelievable. Unbelievable, yeah. actually. It's unheard of. You know? <laughs> I mean, literally, they're talking about taking his leg. You know, we're, we, may, we might have to take his leg. And he's going to sleep thinking, my leg might be gone when I wake up. Yeah. You know? And then to look down, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, if anybody watched the Deion Sanders stuff, I mean, when he finds out, you know, that 
two of his toes are gone, and he looks down, and he's like, oh, my God, you guys did so much. But, you know, but they had to, and uh, it's just it's unfathomable what he went through uh, and, and to come back from it. I would, you know, I get a, I got arthritis in my pinky finger, and I'm like, I'm out of golf for about a, a month. Sad. <laughs> exactly. Okay, tell me a story, Chick. Tell me a story. What's, what's one of the most interesting stories you've covered in your career? Interesting stories I've covered in my career. Well, here I'll give you. A, I don't know if this is interesting, but it's it's uh it's one that will never. It's not it's not a happy story. Okay. All right. I'm working in Augusta, Georgia, and it's the uh, state finals in football. And Georgia and South Carolina they play their uh, the South Carolina teams play at Williams Bryce Stadium where the Gamecocks play. Mm -hmm. That's where the the state finals are. So, and I've you know we got Friday night football. I've got. Uh, uh, just six cameramen who go and cover every Friday night football all over the place. We've used helicopters to get the games. So, but we drive up to South Carolina and it's uh, Burke County Bears. I want to say against Hepzibah, two na two names you'll never know. And uh, on the finals plays of the game, Burke County is down by five, and they force the team to punt with like you know four or five seconds left. So they're going to get the ball back, but they're going to be at their own end. Well, they punt, and Burke County guy catches it and takes off down the field and makes a sharp left turn and just starts going wide. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes his teammate. They reverse it, and there's nobody in sight. This guy, they fooled everybody. They reverse mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the ball, and this guy goes down the sidelines, touchdown. Boom. There's a flag on the play, and now everybody assumes that it's, it's like a clip. And the call is that you cannot hide the football. And what happened was when they reversed it, the guy stuck it in the guy's gut, but he was wearing a half jersey. And that's what those kids love to do. They wear a half jersey, right? Yeah. And the ball got stuck under the jersey as he tucked it away, which is illegal. No touchdown, game over. Burke County loses. You're, you're okay? kidding me. That's, that's a rule? Set. That's a rule. You can't, you can't hide the football. So, so that's so that's Saturday night. Sunday, I get a call from the Burke County coach, Tom Temple. He says, I know you guys have video of it. Can I come in and take a look? And I'm not working on Sunday, but I'm like, yeah, man, that's, I'll bring you into the station. We'll look at it. And, you know, it's Sunday morning and nobody working. So I had to go down to the control room and it's a union shop. I'm not supposed to be touching buttons, but I'm like, no, I'm going to get this done for this coach. So, so he pushed the tape in. He looks at it one time and goes, good call. Nothing I can do about it. Good call. Boom. That's Sunday. Monday, I get a call from my news director. You need to get to Burke County now. Why is that? Because Tom Temple has hung himself in the gymnasium. Holy shit. Yeah, exactly right. I'm like, what are you talking about? The coach has hung himself in the gymnasium. And I'm like, no. Now, if it had been a phone call of that nature without the previous days, you know, get gathering. Yeah. I would have been like, uh, wow, that's unbelievable. Now, now I'm going off a reference of, I just showed him the tape less than 24 hours ago. And that was his reaction. And I'm like, Oh my God. So that was a big story, obviously. And you know, the sadness of anybody committing suicide for one, but then doing it in a place where, you know, the kids are going to see some kids found him. It doesn't make any sense. It was selfish, blah, blah, blah. But it was the story that I'll never, I'll never, you know, uh, it'll never be erased from my memory. Um, so that's that's a interesting story, but a, a, a tragic story. 
and and Sean Taylor. Uh, mm. I've only cried once. I think, uh, yeah, uh, twice, twice on the air. My last day at NBC, I I got emotional. But Sean Taylor, we didn't talk football because he didn't want to talk football. He was he wasn't a big fan of the media, and he didn't want to talk football. So we both had daughters, young daughters, basically the same age, and that's how I would approach him. I would, I would, without a camera in the locker room. Hey man, you know, how's your girl doing? Uh, and his face would light up. And then we talk about our two daughters and you know what they're putting us through and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then he, you know, he passes away protecting his family. And so we're live all day, all day from the, from the, uh, the park and my anchor back in the studio. I knew at some point it was going to happen. And he says, Hey, before I let you go, I know that you and Sean uh, kind of talked non-football. You know, give us some of what that conversation was like. And before I could speak, I felt the lump in my throat, and it was a it was hard for me to to you know say it uh, that we were talking about our our daughters because knowing that he was protecting his daughter is how he lost his life. And I was very very difficult interview. Uh, fortunately, I couldn't see. There was no monitor for me, so I was b- basically going off just like this. I could just hear him ask the question, yeah. and I got emotional on air. And then when I got off the air, I was so, uh, what's the word? Uh, not, not disappointed in myself, but I was maybe embarrassed that I had that I had you know, lost my. I'll say it cool. It wasn't really cool, but I, I'd lost you know the sense of just doing the job. And when I got back to the studio the next day my news director called me in and, and and you know she was like that was unbelievable television and i'm like what are you talking about because yesterday was unbelievable to, i mean the hours you guys put in but you know that that last moment with when you got emotional and i'm like yeah i'm really sorry about that she goes oh you can't apologize for that because that's just that's what everybody strives for is just being human on tv and because mm-hmm. we've gotten so many calls uh, and emails about that moment and i'm like well that's not why I did it. She goes, oh, I know why. It's not why you did it. It's just, it was just authentic. It was real. And, and you know, so, you know, if you want to take some time, I said, no, I'm good now. Um, but it was, yeah, so that, that's, those are the moments you remember, um, you know, or laughing uncontrollably on the air where you, uh, you just cannot keep hold of your, <laughs> of, of what you're trying to say. And you, know, you lose absolute control of, of of yourself on air those are the times that you just you remember and i'll never forget those no 100 percent, and I, I appreciate you sharing them with us yeah yeah and i i totally understand why why such moments would would stay with you forever that that'll be mm-hmm. those would be indelible on the in your mind yeah now i guess just on a i get a bit of a lighter note you, you touched on before the the rules of the press box no uh-huh. cheering for your teams in the no, cheering, right. no being a, no fandom in the press box, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. So, are there any other rules that we should know about when sitting in a press box? Rules in the press box. Um, don't pass gas. That would be a good one. <laughs> Absolutely a good one. Don't um, eat all the food. <laughs> don't all the well. That, well, that's the problem. It's like some places feed you really well. Uh, like when 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 uh, Snyder first took over uh, Washington, I mean, we had, we had chicken out uh, was the meal, and it was great. It's great. And the next year, because he was tired of, of, of negative press, we had like uh, death dogs, hot dogs that were looked like they had been left out for weeks. It was awful. There's no other rule in the press box other than, you know, you know, just being respectful. 
not too loud. Some folks like to keep talking and, you know, uh, but in the press box where the journalists are, you know, it's, it's fine. It's quiet. You're, you're reacting to the plays, um, but you're not, you know, it's cool. It's, that's it. No cheering the press box is, is really the number one rule. Uh, everything else is fine. Everybody's respectful. Uh, if you go to a radio booth, then a, you know, or a TV booth, it's a little more bedlam. But press box, that's easy, um, and it's fine. You know, you usually get a pretty decent seat, mm-hmm. and you know, you have your all your access uh, online, so you can see exactly what's going on statistic, statistically uh, speaking. Um, so no, there's there's not a whole lot. And then you know, halftime, you, you you're like cows led to a trough. You get your food and your drink, and you, you go back and. You do it all over again for the for the uh, second half. And then you try to time when you're going to go down to the locker room. Mm. You don't go down to the field. Only a certain select few might go down to the field. But most of the time, you go down to the locker room. You have to time that. Do you leave right at zero? Because then you might get caught and there's too much traffic and you won't make it into the locker room in time. Or do you leave in enough time? But, you know then you might miss the play of the game because you're sitting in an elevator or you're walking downstairs. And so that becomes only the veterans know, you know, to make that, make that call. It's a lottery pick almost. You got to pick it, got to pick it right. <laughs> so you got to have good clock management in the, exactly right. As much as the coach's box. Exactly right. And you can laugh and you laugh, you know, I mean, you can laugh at a, at a decision uh, that's, you know, and that's, that might be the one area where it's a little dicey. Uh, when they had Jim Zorn as the coach way back in the day, who should have never been a head coach, he, he <laughs> called he called the swinging gate play twice in a row after a timeout. And after he did it the first time, we we're like, "What the hell was that?" And then we saw them line up, and I knew I knew it was coming again. And he did it again, and you just the whole press room, you know, it's like they throw their arms up, like, "What in the hell is this guy doing?" Oh, he's trying to get fired. That's what he's doing. He didn't care, you know, he didn't care. I mean, literally, they brought in a guy to call his offense. That was one of my favorite moments. Every Monday, I would get the coach one-on-one live at five on our 5 o'clock show. And Jim Zorn was a left-handed quarterback. So was I. So I, I loved talking football with him. But they, it was, his season's going so bad, they hired Sherm Lewis. They brought Sherm Lewis back into the NFL. And in the press conference for Sherm's hiring, they said, what have you been doing lately? And he said, I've been calling bingo. <laughs> and we all went that's ah, gotta be a joke and he's and somebody said what do you what do you mean well you know like i-34 <laughs> oh 14 you've been calling bingo yes so of course the headline the next day is redskins new uh play caller has been calling bingo for the last two <laughs> years and it was like so i get i get zorn on the day after the game the first game and i you know we have a pre little gathering before we go live and i said coach you know i'm gonna have to ask you about sherm lewis and he goes i, I know and he goes I, wait, I i i just you know I, there's nothing i can say i said i know but i have to ask you because people are gonna be wondering so all right so we get into the interview in about two minutes in i go coach you know you guys brought in sherm lewis uh who had been calling bingo previously um what's your reaction to that and he looked at me he looked at the camera and looked back at me and he said what do you want me to say and that was perfect He's like, because he knew he was out. He's like, what do you want me to say? I said, I don't think there's much you can say. He's like, exactly. And we moved on. Uh, but that's, you know, those are those those moments that, you know, he's basically telling the ownership, I, I, I get it, dude. You guys are wanting to just bang me out. That's fine. But I'm not going to sell myself down the river to do it. So it was, you know, those are interesting times. This, this franchise has done so many weird, weird things that you just, you just, you, just, you shake your head and go, what in the, you know? Mm-hmm. It just, you know, it's it's unfathomable 
what you know i my i'm sorry i'm rambling here my, my first meeting with the owner dan snyder was a live shot from what is fedex field now mm-hmm. uh the place he bought and i interview i, I started interviewing all right we're here with the brand new owner of the washington redskins dan snyder and what folks don't know is that me and dan went to the university of maryland together and obviously we went to very different classes which <laughs> would you know like you you're chuckling and I looked at him, and it was just stone face. And I turned back to the camera and said, "Well, this is going to be fun." Mm-hmm. That was the beginning of our relationship. I'm like, oh god, this or, guy. or lack thereof. Basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's he's supported my charity, uh, Men Against Breast Cancer. He's you know they've been very good in that respect. Uh, he's come to events because his wife was a survivor, and she's spectacular. And and you know he's done some some things that were really good when when he flies the, the team down. For Sean Taylor's funeral, that's a moment. That's a proper moment. Um, but you know, a lot of the stuff you just shake your head at and go, "Okay." Yeah, yeah. I don't even need to add on to that. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was never shy about making big money signings, whether they made sense or not. I mean, I oh guess- yeah. I mean, he did not. You could <laughs> yeah, not right. say, "Well, this guy is really pinching his pockets here." That he, was not he, the case. No, he was trying everything. <laughs> Deion Sanders and his maroon. You know, come on, man. Uh, all of it, uh, you know, bringing back Bruce Smith to get the sack record, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, he was not Albert about. Albert Hainsworth. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Talk about big money Albert, wasted. Albatross contract. Albatross is correct. This guy laid on the field like a ba- sack of bags. It was awful. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of those moves were made, and you're like, oh, what? You know, but he wasn't afraid to spend money. It's just he didn't have the right people. That's right. Right, he didn't the right people. He was not a football guy. He didn't play football in high school. He didn't play football in college. He wasn't a football guy. Jerry Jones at least played football in college. He knows the game. Dan Snyder doesn't know the game, so you needed to hire the right people around you. Um, and he had one in Marty Schottenheimer, who he fired after Marty won the last six games in a row. You know, to finish eight and eight, and then you fired him because he didn't get because Marty wanted his say. Marty wanted to be the last word, mm-hmm. and that's not what Snyder does. You you hope that he's learned his lesson and he's got some you know he's got some stuff to get through. Uh, we'll see if if uh, and what the all the allegations and investigations mm. that take place. What's going what's going to happen with the franchise? Now you mentioned your foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. Let our fans know what else you have going on right now. Um, I'm absolutely a zero. No, I uh, so I, I I I'm a front man for it. It used to be called Men Against Breast Cancer. And now it's uh, uh, the the moniker is too damn long for me, but. Basically, a buddy of mine, Mark Hyacin, who who did who did not know that my wife was a breast cancer survivor, he came to me. We played high school baseball against each other, and he came to me and said, "You know, would you want to be a, the the head of the celebrity golf tournament? You'd be the you know the, the face of it." And I said, "What's it for?" Because it's Medicus breast cancer, and he goes around the country basically tutoring men how to deal with to care give for your your wives, okay. sisters, okay. all of that. Which you know, guys are like you know so macho, but on these tapes you see them breaking down because they just don't know what to do. And so Mark counsels them on that. Um, and I'd already gone through it. I thought he knew it, but he didn't. Uh, so it was a, a fortuitous uh, gathering. So so I still do that golf tournament every year. Um, like I said, that's about it. I'm calling basketball and football for cbs sports I, i'm the rookie on the staff that's why i'm not doing march madness this year but i had a good really good year i got some good reviews and and i'm gonna probably call some boxing at some point uh during the summertime and then do some some emceeing and hosting of little uh, events here and there and that's it you know I'm, I'm no spring chicken but the 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 
the play-by-play has certainly reinvigorated me. I had a great season. I traveled more than I ever did in my other jobs. I was on the West Coast three straight weeks calling St. Mary's and just, you know, a lot of different coaches and teams to get to know. Um, and it's been a blast. Uh, and the CBS folks, they give you feedback, which I never got at NBC. Um, huh. You know, we go through it, and it's awesome because, you know, and they can tell, you know, I'll go to a producer and say, here's what I'm working on this week. You know, keep me honest on it. And then, you know, we do a review the next day, and he's like, dude, you really worked on that. I'm like, yeah, that's I'm trying to get better. Simple as that. And James Brown taught me that. James Brown, when he left Harvard, <laughs> you know, he went to Harvard to play basketball, got drafted, blew out his knee, and had nothing. Um, except he was went to Harvard, so he was smart as hell. But the local station uh, wanted they they broadcasted the old Washington Bullets games, and so they brought JB in as a color analyst, and he was horrible. He was horrible because he didn't know the job. And then they said after the year, okay, man, thanks a lot. It really didn't work out. And he said, well, wait a second, don't you have somebody that can can help you, can teach you? And they were like, their eyes opened up, like, oh, well, that's a concept we didn't think about. <laughs> you know, like let's we like the guy, but let's let's help him get better. And that's what they did. And the next year, he was fantastic. And then the local affiliate hired him as the weekend sportscaster. And look at him now. He's, you know, one of the, the, the dons of, of, you know, sports television hosts, both news and sports. And so that's what I'm trying to do is get better by the critiques, you know, listen to what they're saying. We all have a, what we think we're putting out there, you know, even to your friends and to anybody. And then but somebody else has a different perspective. And it was interesting to hear that perspective. I've always thought of myself as like a 25 year old dude who just likes to have fun. And, you know, I'm a comedian, you know, by heart, I'm a class, I was class clown for 12 straight years. That's what's what I do. So I'm like the workers that I had and workers, the producers, the, the production assistants, I just feel like they're just friend extensions. That's what I feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I then get uh, a note, when I left NBC, I got a bunch of notes from production assistants and they said, I've watched you as a kid and you handled your exit like unbelievable. I've always looked up to you. And one of the guys is in the business now because I followed everything you do. I kind of I, I replicate what you do on air. I use my hands the same way you do. I'm like, what are you talking about? But you're not aware of how you're affecting people. That's I was certainly not self-aware of that. And that's been an eye-opening experience for me. And what are your social media accounts? I do Twitter, Mr. Mr. Chick Sports, at Mr. Chick Sports. And Instagram is Chick Hernandez, um, you know, on Facebook and LinkedIn. But the Twitter, Mr. Chick moniker is basically, and that's what I was just talking about. Um, the, the Redskins Media Corps started calling me Mr. Chick. And, and I'm like, what the hell is that? Well, you know, you've been in the business for a while. It's a, it's a term of endearment and re- some reverence to you. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll take that. And so that's why I, I'm that moniker now. And it's it's cool, you know. I'm not I'm not I'm not a jackhole. Um, uh, yeah, it's so that's you know that's what I'm up to. Just uh, trying not to do something stupid on social media, which is, you know, I've been accused of and guilty of doing that. Um, and so now with CBS, I'm very careful about what I say. And, and you know, the last two years politically, you had to be very careful what you said. Oh, um, yeah. And I wasn't so much. And you get into debates and arguments, and then you realize you're dealing with stupid idiots, and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd stop that. So we're in a different world, boys. It's definitely, I, I feel for my kids who are, you know, I got two kids left in college, and I can't imagine, you know, doing college from home. Uh, I barely did college when I was in college. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I didn't go to class, and I lived on campus. This is amazing. And you guys are still doing class via, you know, Zoom. 
ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a different world. Absolutely. But we we adapt and we move forward. Yeah. Yep. There we go. So I, I got to ask before that you go, as someone who's played on the the course, who is your tip for the Masters in 2022? Mm, that's a great question. I haven't thought about it yet. Uh, I got a feeling, although the course is not built for him, but you know, there's one guy whose his attitude is just I, I would love to have, and that's Brooks Kepka. He's just such a he's stone-cold assassin. So uh, I, I think it might be his time. If he's putting well, he he's a, one of the better ball strikers, and he can he can move the ball left to right, right to left. So if that if I was a betting man, I would put Kepka in my my top three. And Jordan Spieth, yeah, he had a chance a while ago, uh, got one. Um, so I, I think he's prime. Those two guys are prime. Um, and we'll see if uh, Patrick Reed can stop cheating. Oh, did I say that? Was that <laughs> that's out loud? Not, that's not going to happen. Was that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> Darn it. Darn it. That would be ideal, but yeah. <laughs> Leopard doesn't change spots like that. No, you're right. You're right. He's still doing weird things. You're like, really? You, you realize there's 17 cameras on you, right? And no, doesn't quite compute. I know, and I've talked with him, uh, not about that, but I mean, he's a nice enough guy and was very forthcoming. You know, I'm sure if I'd asked the question, so you got accused of cheating, I might have been punched in the face, but no, it's, you know, I can't wait for it. Uh, you know, I will, and the beauty of what they've done with the Masters is now they've made every hole accessible, you know, via online. And I'm, I'm like I said, an addict. So I'll have my, Laptop and my iPad and my phone on different holes. It's disgusting what I do. I sit there I, and I the watch everything. I'm the same way. I'm the oh, same way. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You know? I mean, I dreamed of calling it. I got the Sun Devils. I got <laughs> Rom and Cantley. Okay. Yeah. Well, Cantley's a bad man. Uh, Rom is too. I think Rom his 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 mental makeup is going to be difficult. Uh, although he's gotten much better at his his temper. When I was mm-hmm. doing PGA Tour Radio, they said, "Do not mention that he's." You know that he used to be this way. We're we're ignoring that. I'm like, uh, okay, but no one <laughs> else a, is. It was a warning. Basically. Yeah, well, like you know, let's not bring up that he was a hothead. Okay, but everybody knows that's what he was and is, and kind of makes him fun to watch. We are waiting to see when he snaps, but uh, but you know, you become a dad, it also kind of smooths you out. That's right. So, yeah, you know, marriage, me. marriage and a kid, marriage and yeah. a kid. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's a dad, but he's still a Chelsea fan. I think that contrib- <laughs> contributes to his hot-headedness. Did, did, did they warn you about that? Did they say, hey, he's a fan of the Blues. He's probably going to flip out because they No, 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 <laughs> no. It's, it's funny. There's a lot of rules, a lot of rules in, 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 in broadcast. When I got, took the PJ Tour job, you know, they knew I was a stand-up comedian, and they warned me, don't, don't be funny. Because, this is the PGA Tour. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're, they're talk shows, their talk shows can be funny. But those the guys that are calling the golf, calling the action, they don't want you to be funny. Which I was like, that's fine, I, I got it, you know. And I was, I mean, it was it was a point of emphasis, like we we don't need you to be a comic. Okay, I got it. I mean, have you heard of David Faraday at all? No. Okay, good. Um, that's fine. And I so that's what I did. And like the first or second broadcast, all of a sudden my colleagues are yucking it up on something, and literally there is blood streaming from my bottom lip because I am biting it. I there's so many one liners that are in my head just hang in there just yeah just. and i can't and i cannot i can't do it and i don't and i get a call in the next week from the head guy he goes what did i tell you what are you talking about what did i say you know ease up on the humor i said what are you talking about well, you guys are yucking it up and that's when i i drew the line that's why i'm not working there i think anymore 
I drew the line and said, all right, you need to go back and listen to the broadcast because you told me don't be funny. So you will not hear my voice on a broadcast. Well, I disagree. Well, you need to go back and listen to it. And we're going to end this conversation now until you do. And I hung up. And then I could just I imagine, could, I can imagine you in like a very monotonous. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, and I got a call back four days later. The topic was something far different. It was about something else. And he thought he's going to get away with it at the end of the phone call. And I said, Hey, by the way, did you listen to that tape? Yes. And yeah, exactly. You were correct. No apology. He just said, mm. you were correct. Mm. I said, good talk. Click. And so, uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, I just rambled a lot today, didn't I? Hey, no worries. No, good, this good is a talk. great talk. Good yeah. Track. Cool. Very cool. I appreciate y'all, man. Really do. Very cool. Likewise. If you have any questions for the Pro Sports Podcasters, be sure to reach us on our Twitter account, where you can also slide into our DMs and catch the latest snippets, dirt, and other exclusive things that we will tweet. Check us out at P Podcasters on Twitter.